uh, Amirana Bauman. I was the guest editor of uh, this, um, this quarter's uh, journal and suggested the theme of uh, temporary urbanism because it's happening all around us. And I thought it was very important to try and comment about why it is happening. Just to say that no, we are coming out of a period of about 20, 30 years of uh, developing our cities in a very uh, bold way with great visions. Now it was a time of optimism and a lot of funding. And even smaller cities in England, like Bradford here, were obtaining and purchasing and commissioning enormous visions about what the city could be like. We all, the same applies to architecture. You know, architectural visions were very ambitious, uh, even in cities that didn't need that kind of ambition. I don't know whether you can guess where this is. It could be anywhere, but it's actually Leeds. And we, did, no, we never really needed that kind of building in terms of space demand, but we, we were actually proposing those kind of buildings only about four or five years ago. We also, in the last 30, 40 years, transformed our, our core cities in England and we uh, developed new ways of living, uh, including a lot of consumption and a lot of coffee drinking and not very pleasant lifestyles who those could, uh, could afford it. But in the same time, all this was really, all, all that investment seemed to have been happening in the centers of the core cities, uh, just in the center, around the center, in most of the nine core cities in England and small towns as well, there's a ring of uh, most deprived neighborhoods and they are kind of within walking distance of the booming centers. And the usual access for this kind of uh, approach, uh, you know, you know when you're leaving the, the buoyant, happy area and you're about to enter the deprived one, but very, very few people do that. Very few people cross these bridges except uh, when they live there. And as soon as you get into those neighborhoods, there's a very different uh, atmosphere, less joyous. Uh, there is more fear, there is more neglect, there is more uh, hopelessness. And not a lot of people live there. And somehow, that 30-year boom that we just had didn't seem to have touched uh, those kind of major problems within our cities. Uh, and in, uh, by 2008, I think that probably will be the year which we'll all remember, all of that has come to an abrupt end. So all that joy that we had, all the development, uh, all that optimism uh, is now appearing to have been a little bit over, overblown. And there is a bit of a bubble. And we now, in most cities, have a lot of um, uh, surplus to demand. Uh, my office is actually doing a, a, our own research project, mapping the margin of the city center, which was where all the expansion was happening to see what's happened to that new development. And it's, it's becoming empty so quickly that we can't keep up with photographing it. That whole margin of recent expansion uh, is uh, void uh, at the moment, especially in places like Leeds. So of course, this is probably good news because it means that there is now time to rethink some of the things that we've been doing. Now, not everything that we've done in the time of boom has been successful, in fact, time will only show just how much of it has been successful. We need a 30-40 year perspective to really understand what succeeded, but there are early signs now that a lot of it was wrong. So we should capture this, you know, this moment um, to have these different conversations. And I think one of the biggest conversations that's, that's happening everywhere is about values, you know, values of our society. What has led us to have this massive boom, which did not succeed that well for everybody, 
uh, and what actually makes us uh, happy as a society. So a lot of debate about happiness, because nothing we all know that no, happiness doesn't seem to rise with amount of money. It seems to have the same level after, after we can secure our own uh, uh, well-being, you know, shelter and food. After that moment, uh, more money doesn't give you additional uh, happiness. We also know that certain forms of, of trading have, have survived extraordinary things. They survived plagues, things like markets in, in Dewsbury, we'll be hearing from, from uh, later on. Uh, the market was open, I think, in 1600. It operated for about 100 years, then they closed, closed for 200 years after the plague and reopened the same place 200 years later and it's still there. Certain things survive much better than others, certain forms of urbanity. We also begin to return to the idea of making. Making is everywhere at the moment. You now these waves of fashions are, are incredible, which kind of happen out of the blue. So on television, we have the, the best tale of the year, the young tale of the year, the young joiner of the year. Uh, VNA have done an amazing, amazing exhibition about the uh, power of making. Uh, hack spaces, fab labs are being set up everywhere. Now, this is a, a big thing, but also to do with repairing and recycling. You know, we are beginning to understand the value and the pleasure of it. Not to mention you know, the amount of joy that we get just from personal relationships and from being able to do nice things for each other. It's one of the greatest sources of happiness. So, um, we're considering this, uh, but what makes us happy? We're also looking at how valuable this very expensive regeneration that we've been doing is. Now, most cities got beautiful places. Now, this is Nottingham. Every city in, in, in England now has a fountain. Whether we can actually maintain them is a different matter, but it's great to have them. So, we had this period of very, very heavy investment. Some of it was very ambitious. Now, it'd be very nice, interesting to see how many years it will be now, how many decades will pass before we can commission another piece of work like this. This is in, in uh, Newcastle, the blue carpet. Uh, will there ever be an appetite for this again? Uh, or, or how long will it take for us to have it? It is not likely to happen within the next 10 years, that's for sure. And then really to ask our question, ourselves questions, you know, do we need these beautiful spaces to do the nice things that we like to do in public realm, like dancing, you know, this is very nice. Very, very nice. And in Brighton, they say they're doing the dancing because they got this new shared surface. But is this actually true? Because in other places, you can do lovely things collectively on very bad pavements. So what is more important? Now, is, it, is it more important to, to dance together? Or is it more important to have a beautiful surface? Or are both of them completely essential for our civilization? And also, you know, ask the questions about um, what the public realm is for, really. Again, the same kind of question, is it about us coming together or is it about showcasing uh, a livable uh, city? Because up, you know, for the last 30 years, British cities got into this incredible league mentality when we all had to have special, uh, unique selling point and compete in, in global uh, leagues. And it led to some very uh, silly things happening in, in our cities, like this one, for example. So, you know, enormous amount of capital funding for a building in Sheffield which didn't have any purpose, didn't have a business plan, that was the, uh, the Museum of Pop Music, failed within a year, uh, struggled for another three years to find another user. It's inflexible, it's not really, uh, it's, not, it's now a student union, I think it probably works quite well. The dome we know is now successful but it had three years of being empty as well. So is this really the right way to develop uh, our cities? Uh, whilst at the same time, you know, there's so much land which is uh, still neglected. So this is from Leeds, you now we had this boom, a lot of high-rise uh, housing, 
because of uh, Eben White Pepe, it was almost like a license to, to build high. So we built high without questioning of developers were very keen to build high. The planning authorities were not ready for it. They didn't have any policies in place and any strategies in place. And the result is that we got this very strange uh, urbanity now of high density blocks next to completely empty spaces. So the question I'm leading up to here is, you know, is there another way of developing? You know, why are we not being more organic about it? Uh, do we need to control everything? Do we need to have policy for everything? Uh, this is Dewsbury, Muslim uh, community moving in, developing what they need for worship in a, in a way that they can afford, you know, without borrowing any money, um, collecting money from the community, doing what they can by just converting a couple of terraces. In probably 10 or 20 years' time, there will be another mosque, but at the moment, but they're doing it within uh, the means. And that creates a very nice, very kind of um, uh, urbanity that seems to be in touch with, with the needs of its population. Uh, so far, I was just giving an overview of why, why, why we're looking at temporary uh, urbanism and what it might be. The reason why we combined three essays from Denmark and three essays from England is that in Denmark at the moment, uh, the local authorities and designers really embraced this idea of not doing things in a rush, of actually testing things out. Uh, one of the examples here is in Copenhagen. They're trying to take the streets away from the cars, as I'm sure you know, uh, by giving it more and more space to the bicycles. But they're not doing this by just changing the whole system overnight. They are testing what works and what doesn't work. So this is a, one of the major, one of the biggest uh, streets in Copenhagen, goes right across uh, east to west of Copenhagen. And this is a, a place of experiment for the next three years, or even four years, they're going to be taking a bit more, you know, every six months, they take a little bit more for the lane, do a bit of temporal work to keep everybody safe, but not much. And then they measure everything, measure, 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 to see, you know, other more accidents, or, and then they take a bit more and a bit more. I've been uh, back now over two years, and every time there's a little bit more, and I think they're coming to a point now when they probably can't do anymore. But it's done in a low-key, uh, thoughtful way, uh, with lots of feedback. Uh, they're also committing, to really committing to changing the transport system, uh, and they're committing to well-being. You know, they are saying in Copenhagen that it's not enough just to regenerate. What we should really focus on is well-being of our citizens, and it should be well-being of all our citizens. So they, you know, their priorities in terms of regeneration are quite different from the ones we had here for the last 30 years. Uh, their starting point is very different. So we're doing other temporary experiments. This is one to do with bookshops, it's kind of temporary bookshops. So they pull these out. This is a council project. They pull them out in different parts of Copenhagen and again test for about three or four months to see how they're doing there and then they move them to another place and see whether there is, uh, what happens around this uh, market in other places before they decide whether to continue doing this or actually place it in one place. Uh, they're also experimenting with how to regenerate neighborhoods in a temporary way. This is, these are all experiments to test what works, what doesn't. Uh, they produced 400 chairs. They designed them specially for one neighborhood, one very, very deprived neighborhood, which is divided in half. And these chairs and this little building are designed to bring people together, give opportunity for people to come together and, and, and create their own uh, moments and their own projects. And these chairs are traveling all over the neighborhood, sometimes across the road. They certainly, you can, you can see from the pattern how they left, what kind of, what kind of arrangements, who, who was actually using them. Uh, and they produced was very, very cheap, tiny buildings. They just had a, those little buildings are community spaces. They just have a normal table and a tea and coffee making facility. And that's all there is in there. And they really just facilitated people talking to each other. 
and then more experiments, very, very low, very low key, really cheap. You know, the most expensive thing here is the camera, uh, the, the projector for, for the wall, for the film showing. It's a multi-purpose space that uh, local communities decide how to use. And they, and also Copenhagen, who influenced the New York event in two years ago called the Summer, uh, Summer City, where young girls suggested a project where rather than spending vast amounts of money changing all the major streets, uh, overnight, basically, the streets were painted out with very cheap uh, uh, paint, and spaces were trans transformed from this kind of condition of lots of cars, just, just like in space, painted. People colonized it really, really quickly. And by, you know, by the middle of the summer, they were really, really colonized. And all sorts of uh, subculture emerged. And they did it in about uh, 10 different spaces. I got masses of slides. It's really, really exciting. And this was all temporary. Uh, and of course, we've got the same here. Festivals uh, can transform places completely, and they're quite temporary. Uh, hey on Y Festival, uh, for, it takes 40 years, I think, to achieve <coughs> real change. Uh, the secondhand bookshops and the festival in Hey Y have really, really transformed uh, that place in a very low key, organic way. So, um, just, to, just to finish off, uh, I'll just go back to the, to the first one, uh, to the last one. Uh, the same is happening in other places in, in uh, England. You know, Copenhagen are doing very exciting things, but we're also doing them here.